Is your heart full this morning already? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we have just sang that our Lamb alone is worthy. And these truths imprint them on our minds and our hearts this morning as we come before you and eventually celebrate what you have done through your table. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Son. Thank you, Spirit. Three in one. Amen. Well, the Bible is a very big book. Have you ever thought of that? Three quarters of a million words are found in this book. And so the question that I have to open this morning's service is, if somebody said to you, where should I start? Where would you direct them? Perhaps you'd take them to Matthew or Mark, the New Testament. Maybe you'd take them to Romans. Maybe John. This morning, I want to take you to a passage that I think is at the center of God's Word. All of Scripture is God-breathed. All of it is inspired by God. But there's some particular parts that are uniquely central to the message of Scripture. And this morning's message is found in the book of Luke, Luke 22, verses 7 through 20. So if you have your Bibles, I'd ask you to open them because we want to spend time in God's Word. Author and theologian J.I. Packer an Englishman and a Canadian, was once asked if he could sum up the entire New Testament in only three words, to which he replied, yes, I can. Adoption through substitution. Adoption through substitution. That's the heart of today's message. Jesus' sinless life, death in our place, substitution, provides the only means for us to have access and become children of God, adoption. And as a result of this, our response is to be a recognition of what Jesus has done. A recognition that Jesus alone is worthy. A recognition that Jesus alone is worthy of all honor and all praise and all glory. And aligning our lives, dying to our old self, and living for Christ. Have you ever considered that Jesus Christ could have done anything the night he was betrayed? Think for a second. In just hours, Jesus Christ is going to be betrayed, and he is going to be arrested, and he is eventually going to be tried and executed. But the very night that he is going to be arrested, he decides one last time to dine in a Passover meal celebration, in reflection for what God has done. And he will repurpose it forever to what he is about to do. Only he knew what was happening. In the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this is all recalled. And specifically in the book of John, think about this statement. John 13 through 17 spends the entire chapters covering this particular event. 25% of the book of John alone is focused on where we're going to spend our time this morning. 
So this is significant. This is important. The Passover, for context, point one, for those that take notes, has happened for 1,470 years before this. And we recall in the book of Exodus, Exodus 12, that 12.12, on that same night, God's word teaches us that I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn people and animal, and I will bring judgment on the gods of Egypt. The final plague would be a punishment for sin. Remember, there was ten plagues that had led up to this. There was the nine plagues where the Egyptians' livestock, their crop, and their people were all affected, infected. But the tenth plague would be different. For the tenth plague would be universal. It would affect all of the people there if they did not have a covering from the Lord. And the Lord's kindness, you remember what happened? He instructed them that he would provide a Passover lamb, and it was to be killed, and its blood was to be spread on the lentil and the doorposts. And the angel of death would come, and if the blood was there, he would pass by or pass over and spare them from the judgment that was coming. And the point behind that is this, if the blood wasn't there, they would not be spared. If the blood was not there, they would not be spared, including the Israelites. The final plague would be different. They would, this would require a covering of an innocent animal killed on their behalf, the innocent for the guilty. And in verse 13 and 14, Exodus 12, God's word continues, and the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is to commemorate for generations to come. And you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. The Passover meal, however, wasn't meant to be the end. It was meant to paint a picture to look forward to what Jesus was going to teach his disciples this night. The Gospels, when we get to them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the true substitute, the true lamb, is now here. So down in your Bibles, let's look at verse 7 together. Luke 22, verse 7, God's word says, Then came the day of unleavened bread, in which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. This scene is now orchestrated by Jesus to remember what has come before and proclaim what will come after, a redemption that God has provided for them in Egypt already. Jesus instructs Peter in verse 8, continuing, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Preparing the Passover meal involved a number of key elements. You had to have a place, you had to have the lamb, you had to sacrifice the lamb in the temple and you had to roast it and there was a whole bunch of things that had to happen before this would happen. But have you ever considered this one point? Where in the world are they going to do all of this? This is Jerusalem. The population of Jerusalem, it is estimated at this time, was four to 500,000 people. And this particular weekend, the population would exponentially swell to four to five times. So for context, that's the inner city of Toronto coming to Hamilton for the weekend. 
And in this scene, Jesus tells his disciples, particularly two, Peter and John, go, and you're going to find who? A man, look to your Bibles, a man, look for him, and he's going to direct you to a house. So Jesus' instruction is fairly vague, would you not say? Imagine the instruction of go find a man with two and a half million people in a city. So for context here, men, it doesn't just say a man. He talks about a man that will be carrying water. So why is that important? Men typically did not carry water jars at this time. It was much more common of a task for a woman to do. So that would be unique. Additionally, the text confirms that the man was going to be looking for them. So this is the scene in which the Passover is going to occur. Verse 11 continues. The teacher asks, where is the guest room? So this man is going to take them back to a house, and the owner of the house is going to say to them, Where's the, here's the guest room, right? Eat with my disciples. He's ready. He's waiting for them. The man is going to be waiting. He has been preparing for them to arrive, and he will show you the room. It's large. It's furnished. It's prepared, and it's ready for them. So imagine five times the city population swelling, and out of that chaotic, Jesus calms them down and says, go do this. The man is there. The man is waiting. He takes them to the owner, and they find it exactly as Jesus has described to there. Verse 13, they left, and they found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. Here's the point. Jesus was, Jesus is in total control of all things at all times. The room was large, the room was furnished, the room was vacant, and the room was ready. They were expecting him. They were expecting his disciples. But what would follow that night, his disciples would never have been expecting. Think about that. 1,470 years and counting, possibly three of these that have occurred with Jesus and his disciples, and this particular night, the rest of history would be changed. And that's why we're here this morning. Something has happened. Something is happening. Something will happen that's going to change the course of history forever. We have the lens to look back now through the whole Scripture, but this is the first time or the last time that Passover will ever be celebrated like this. Jesus is going to become their Passover lamb and our Passover lamb for the rest of history. Praise God. Point three, provision. So now we see the scene is exactly just as Jesus has told them. And in verse 14, When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. Exodus 12, verse 11, just before where I took you before, says this. Do you remember when the first Passover, they were to eat in haste, they were to have their cloaks tucked into their belts, sandals on their feet, and be ready. 
But now, Jesus is reclining with them at the table. In the book of John, we learn that he has actually just washed his disciples' feet prior to this. And now Jesus is reclining at the table. Four points. Number one, something is different. Jesus is no longer rushing. This meal is about a five-hour meal, and he's reclining with them at the table. Connected to this, reclining at a table is a sign of freedom, one of the commentaries says, versus slavery. In addition to this, we see that Jesus is instructing. He's instructing them of what's coming in the future. He's telling them little bits and pieces of this transition that's going to happen. And Jesus is loving them, sacrificially loving them. Jesus here is becoming our Passover lamb. Praise God. And so what we see here is a, a time where Jesus is with his people. God's word teaches us as it continues in verse 15 that he earnestly desires this meal with his disciples. If you take notes, please highlight this point. This isn't something that was thrust on Jesus. Have you ever thought of this for a second? Jesus was involved when mankind was created, correct? And from that moment, from Adam and Eve to the point where they sinned, he has now been waiting for this night patiently. 4,000 years, it's estimated, had happened between then and now, and Jesus has patiently waited for this night, not begrudgingly wanting to come, not begrudgingly wanting to do the will of the Father, but earnestly desiring to follow the will of God. Jesus is reclining with his disciples. This is his farewell speech. Let me read to you something that I wrote down here that I think captures this well. Jesus was born to die so that he was sitting down at this Passover meal, and it meant within hours he was going to be suffering in excruciating pain. He was going to be beaten. He would be scourged. And he was going to, in the end, end up in shame and humiliation. Absolute pain on the cross of Christ in a matter of hours. The next day would be there, and he looks at his disciples reclining, and he says, I have earnestly desired to have this meal. But verse 15 continues and adds two little words, with you. Jesus looks at his disciples. Now, consider this fact. At the table at this time is his betrayer. And Jesus looks into the eyes of his disciples, all of them, and says that he's earnestly desiring to have this meal with you. Friends, he's earnestly desiring to have this meal with you today. If that doesn't move your heart, I don't know what does. Because the verse continues and adds three more words. Before I suffer. Jesus says, I earnestly desire to have this meal with you before I suffer. 
Suffering was not going to be thrust upon him. Suffering was something he's orchestrating for our benefit and theirs. Five hours at a meal reclining. The very night he's going to be arrested and betrayed. He's not readying to prepare for battle. He's readying to do what he's always wanted to do on their behalf and ours. I earnestly desire to have this meal with you before I suffer. That's the heart of Jesus. And he looks into their eyes and ours, and he loves them. And Jesus could have done anything that night, but praise God, he did exactly what he was coming to do. And so in verse 17, it continues. After taking the cup, he gave thanks, and he says, take this and divide it among you. Do you notice there's a oneness described here? There's one cup divided among you. Then he takes the bread, we learn, and he breaks the bread, and he says, this is my body. We will read in verse 19. There's going to be a transition that's going to occur here. But prior to that, in these other verses, in 17 and 18, this is traditionally what has happened for 1,470 years and counting. But something is going to change, which changes the course of history forever. And verse 19 and 20 are the key to this passage. He takes the bread and he gives thanks. And he reconstitutes, he recommissions the Passover meal once forever. And he says, this is my body for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then in verse 20, in the same way we see after supper, he takes the cup and he says, this is now my blood, which has been poured out for you, the new covenant. Do this in remembrance of me as well. In a sense, it's saying, is it not? And Jesus is now recasting the final Passover to be the first Lord's table this very night. His disciples were likely completely clueless to what was going on. They wanted to keep him. Now, what would we do the night that we're going to be betrayed and arrested? We're probably not going to be reclining for five hours in a prolonged meal. We're probably going to be readying. How many swords do we have? What do we have here? Jesus does none of these things. He spends time in two events, two key events the night he's going to be arrested. One, reclining, eating, recommissioning the Passover, and two, praying and communing with the Father. He could have done anything he wanted to that night. He chose two key events. And the book of John, John 13 through 17, this farewell discourse by Jesus constitutes, again, one quarter of the book of John. In fact, more real estate is given to this event than even the cross. That does not mean it's more important, but it means it's very significant. Because Jesus is telling us, if you picture the Bible is like a train going and all of a sudden it's slowing down into the station. Jesus is getting ready for the cross. And we go into super slow motion here in Luke 22 and in John 13. What does this cause us to do? What does it cause your heart this morning to be compelled to do? One word, I would say, captures it. Praise. 
praiseworthy. Jesus is worthy of all praise, all honor, all glory. In the book of Revelation, we read in chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. Let me read them to you. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands upon ten thousand. And they encircled the throne of the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power, honor, wealth, and wisdom, and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise, honor, and glory, and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and all the elders fell down and worshipped. Our salvation comes through the sinless, sacrificial death of the new Passover lamb, Jesus Christ. That's our substitution, by which we are then, through faith, in him alone, adopted eternally. Aren't you glad the word is eternal? into the kingdom of God. You will not be wrestled from his hands. Those he comes to save, he will save. It's not might save. How do we apply this message? Two parts. Six. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're not part of the family of God this morning, how does this message speak to you? Three weeks ago, I had the honor to preach to you and I mentioned to you of a courtroom scene. A scene where I watched brokenhearted, where friends were hurting, brothers and sisters were hurting. The person in that room that had committed a crime against them and their family was about to be sentenced. The judge ruled and came down rightly with an accusation against the person and condemned them to X number of years in federal penitentiary, albeit too short, in my opinion. And on one side, my heart was absolutely breaking for them. And on the other, I watched this man's eyes looking at his family in terror for he knew that within seconds he'd be handcuffed and taken out of that room, which is exactly what happened. There was nothing he could say. There was nothing he could do. All of the arguments that had happened before were done, both sides. It was now a sentencing. Friends, that's not the scene that we see here in the Bible. For there's no argument that we can present before a holy and just God. There is nothing. We are speechless before a holy and just God. The only defense we have is the covering of the blood of the Passover lamb in our place. And with that, we need to say nothing, for he has already said everything on our behalf, and we are taken from condemned to righteousness. He has taken our sins in his body on the cross, and we are imputed righteousness. And so my plea to you is don't just hear these words, but apply these words. If you don't know the believer, 
or if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, nothing would make me happier in any of the leadership, any of our elders, than coming and talking to us after. Our hearts will stay as long as you want. You are the, that is the most important thing that we could ever do. Whether it's today, this week, anytime, please come and talk to us. We want you to be covered by the blood of Jesus. Exodus 12 continues and says this. It wasn't enough for it to be applied or only to be, sorry, for the lamb to be sacrificed. It had to be applied. And today, the application of this message is this. Believe by faith, turn from self, and you will be saved. That's God's word. It promises that. If you knock at his door in humble faith, you'll find there's plenty of room for you in his house. And when God sees the blood of Jesus, he will pass over you and welcome you into his kingdom. Praise God. That's where we've all been. That's why this morning as we approach this table, we're going to have a time of reflection to praise God, to confess our sins before God and prepare our hearts to receive what he has done on our behalf undeservingly. Secondly, Christians, as we get ready to partake in the table, let me encourage you with these thoughts. The final Passover meal leads to the institution of the Lord's Supper forever. But there's one thing that I didn't discuss, and it was intentional. Verses, there's two verses in here that I've left out. Jesus patiently is waiting to come again. He doesn't want anybody to perish. And so our marching orders are to take his word here and around the world to every tribe and to every nation. And Jesus is patiently waiting. We learn through two of the verses here in 7 to 20 until that day comes. And all of those that he calls will come. And so what are we to do as God's people? Number one, we're to remember his blood and body broken for you and me undeservingly. We are to repent before a holy and just God. We're to acknowledge that Jesus has paid the ultimate price for our sins. And we are to turn from our old self. We're to die from our old sinful self and live for Christ. We are to proclaim his death until he comes again. As we are about to gather around the table, we remember and we proclaim Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. Praise God. Let's pray. Heavenly Holy Father, we are about to sing a beautiful song, or at least hear it sung to us, which is going to encourage us to turn our eyes upon Jesus to look full in his wonderful face, that the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the wonders of his glory and his grace. God, we don't deserve this table. Your son paid all on our behalf. Our hearts are overwhelmed with thankfulness for what he did that night and what he did that weekend that would follow. On our behalf, and so we praise you. As we get ready to partake in this table, stir in our hearts and in our minds 
the proper worship that's due to you as our Lord, our Creator, and our Sustainer, we pray. Amen. And now, having been refreshed uh, at this table uh, with the Lord Jesus himself and with each other, go forth now into the world in peace. Be of good courage. Hold fast to what is good. Don't repay evil for evil. Support the weak. Minister to the needy. Seek the lost. Love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be upon you and continue to use you for his glory in this coming week. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.